This is the Education Exchange with Paul Peterson. I am the senior editor at Education Next. Thank you for joining us. Education's political landscape has shifted dramatically over the past year, and it hasn't necessarily become all that much nicer. Uh, Secretary of Education Betsy DeVos has used the bully pulpit to promote school choice, but she's drawn a intense opposition from those who are against this innovation in American education. Teacher unions are upset with the U.S. Supreme Court for striking down an Illinois law that required government workers to become union members or at least to pay fees if they didn't join the union. And the Department of Education is reviewing a letter sent to school districts by the Obama administration that had said to the districts they had to be careful not to have disparities in suspensions and expulsions. So all of these issues have generated intense conflict, not to say anything about the fact that teachers went out on strike in six southern and western states. So to discuss these and other topics, I have with me today Hannah Skandera, the editor-in-chief of The Line, an online magazine dedicated to civil discourse in K-12 education, and an experienced educator, a former superintendent of schools for the state of New Mexico, and who is also currently the chief in residence for Chiefs for Change, a reform organization at the state policymaking level, and is the superintendent in residence for the Broad Center. So, Hannah, thank you for joining me today Paul, on the Education Exchange. Thanks for having me. So, before launching into some of these controversial questions, would you give me some information about your new position at The Line? What's its audience? What's its philosophy? Great. Um, yeah. So The Line is a, a journal. It's online and also um, uh, in paper uh, copy as well. And it goes to every superintendent across the country, as well as our state chiefs um, and others who are interested. And its commitment and my commitment in, as the new editor-in-chief is to encourage and facilitate in the education space civil discourse where we truly engage different opinions and talk about our differences, but also talk about, and my basic presupposition is, even in our great differences in, across our country, which you alluded to, it's not just an education, but um, kind of wherever you turn today, we're seeing a lot of divides. But sometimes we forget to say, let's acknowledge those, let's air them, let's put them out on the table, and then let's, let's look where, uh, for those places that we can find commonality or agree to disagree. And the line is committed to, to bringing different voices to the table when it comes to education and also um, bringing an opportunity for where are there spaces that we can work together and move forward. And so, so are you planning uh, forums or uh, opportunities for people with different points of view to gather together and exchange ideas? Yes. And in fact, um, if you go um, online and visit the line online right now, you'll um, I've hosted a conversation with Roberto Rodriguez and Dr. Canavali from Georgetown, and they discuss their opinions in regards to the Trump administration's proposal to combine the Department of Ed uh, with the Dep Workforce Department. Um, yeah, the labor. Department of Labor. Yes, yeah, labor. Yeah. Um, I was going back to my New Mexico days, the Department of Labor, <laughs> and they have differences of opinion. Dr. Canavali believes that it, it could be a win, whereas uh, Roberto Rodriguez says not so much. 
And so it's a place and space to have these conversations and facilitate and hopefully inspire in others um, the thinking and, and the difference and the opportunity also to come together. Well, there may be some possibilities for this in the whole area of vocational education or career and technical education as that's now being um, talked about. So uh, I, I, I've, I, the trade unions, which are associated with the Democratic Party, have always been supportive of technical training, career training, hands-on training. And I hear that kind of talk coming from Republicans as well. So is this a possible domain within which you could get more of a civil discourse? I think so. Um, interestingly enough, we have 36 gubernatorial candidates running across our country today. I think we have about 18 guaranteed changes in gubernatorial offices in November. And the number one topic for education that they are talking about is career technical education. I think that's emblematic of several things. Number one, every governor is an economic governor, right? Because they have to generate Yeah, they um, want their jobs. state to do better, that's right, right? That's right. And, and career technical education brings this opportunity of education and jobs and workforce needs together. I think in the past we've reacted because the, we think of this old vocational education um, approach that as a, uh, had some some tracking and just kind of left folks feeling like it was um, historical and not present day. The question yeah, now when is... When I was in school, yes. it was the Future Farmers of America. That's right. And all the farm kids took, the, right. took those courses, and the sophisticated city kids, no, no. Exactly. Well, I, it's time to change that. And when I think about discourse and education today, I think there's a lot of divide. But something like career technical education could bring rural, suburban, and urban folks to the table and make it a 21st century question around where are we going? How do we build on the strong foundation we have in education around standards, accountability, choice, and also ensure that we are truly equipping the next generation of leaders um, to be prepared for workforce and economic needs as well as our college and, and beyond. So, you know, the education reform movement, which I know you're a big part of, you're one of the, the leaders <laughs> in that as the superintendent uh, of schools in the state of New Mexico. Uh, you know, the, but, you know, just not, not you in particular, but the whole movement was sort of focused on uh, fixing our urban schools. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, it really sort of said the problem is in urban America. What can we do about it there? Um, it is a time for a change in strategy and approach. Yeah, I, you, I think you hit the nail on the head on this, Paul. I, at the end of the day, I think it was right for the reform movement, ed reform, to start with urban settings. Lots of kids that we have failed generationally. But what I think we missed is we never pivoted and said, let's also have conversations and, and change in our suburban and our rural areas. What we know is one-fifth of our kids across this country are in rural settings. In New Mexico, I certainly experienced that. And we've got to be thinking about how do we serve all kids, not just one subset. Um, and in fact, uh, we, you mentioned in, in the introduction that I became the editor-in-chief of the line. This next issue in the, in the line that's coming out at the end of October is focused on equity and opportunity. And one of the things we do is we, we have a conversation about what does school look like for a third grader in rural America, in suburban America, and in urban? Because you know what? It's different. And we need to begin to talk so about this. So what are some of the key differences between third grade in rural America and yep. third grade in the big city? 
Well, um, I'll t something really simple. What about transportation? A third grader in rural America, and I can say this from experience in New Mexico, might be on a bus for 90 minutes each way to school and back home every day. Which means, for example, in New Mexico once again, but in other places across our country, maybe you only have a four-day school week because, because of costs and just economies of scale, et cetera. It makes more sense to have a shorter um, school week. That's a radical idea. I know, right, right? <laughs> uh, but now an education reformer isn't likely to embrace that. They, I mean, if you look at the charter schools, the charter schools are saying we should have a longer school day, we should have more, a longer school year, more days at school. Mm -hmm. How do you square? Well, let's frame that up a little bit differently. I bet every education reformer I know knows that teacher quality matters immensely. And in fact, our teachers are our game changers in the classroom and how we support them and, and make sure that we have effective, highly effective exemplary teachers in every classroom is, is on the forefront, right? Well, in rural America, it's hard to recruit teachers to some places. In fact, there are places in New Mexico where you cannot, just out of sheer um, resource, et cetera, recruit an AP teacher in high school, for example. But what if you were able to offer that virtually? Or what if you were able to have a, an exemplary teacher teach English in high school and in middle school? So we're no longer talking about the highly qualified teacher regs. We're talking about how effective is this teacher in the classroom? And if we could have one teacher in rural America teach high school and middle school, we're, paying, we're not paying for two salaries, but one, and we're having an effective teacher. So it's, it's thinking about reform differently, but the principles don't change. We want equity and opportunity for all of our kids and there may be different ways of providing that depending on the setting. So I sort of feel like the education reform movement sort of missed a step a bit politically by being so focused on urban America that rural America said, it's not for us. Mm -hmm. Suburban America said, it's not for us. This thing is somewhere, for somebody else, it's not for us. So is career and technical education a way of m making it clear that we can enhance the quality of the educational experience in rural America as well? I think it is one way, and I think it's high time. Um, I've, thought, I've done a lot of thinking about, um, you know, you don't win for your kids when you're on defense only. And I think the ed reform space needs to be thinking about where, after we build on this solid foundation of high expectations, accountability, and choice, what's next? And, and how do we be more inclusive in our conversation of geographically inclusive as well as inclusive around voices that need to be heard and be a part of the solution? Career technical education is probably one of those spaces where we're going to be able to work together um, and really re-imagine -im what career technical education should look like in the 21st century. I mean, what are we doing with the last two years of high school? Maybe we should be thinking about how we use them differently. For many students, they're not, they're not a, uh, as well um, developed in the last two years, and there's a lot of time not well spent. Maybe we should reposition. And one of the ways to reposition might be to take advantage of the concept of choice and say, let's mm -hmm. give the student choices. As they go into high school, they can maybe take some courses in the high school, some in the college, some online, be much more flexible in the specific course combinations that students can put together. And that could create new opportunities for suburban kids, for rural kids, and really you know, sort of saying instead of charter schools versus public schools, we could have 
just all kinds of choice options available to the students. I couldn't agree with you more. I actually think um, we will, if we, if we embrace the opportunity at hand, which I'm counting on um, education, um, folks in the education space taking on this opportunity to bridge in a time of divide, one of the things we will do is I think we'll see a blurring of the lines between high school, college, and workforce needs. And, and one of the ways we can do that is through choice, to your point. And, and also just the, how, how, how do we think outside the box? We, we have these conversations about college all the time and how kids are walking out of college in terrible debt. Well, what if we started, like I said, to blur the lines and think about how we would create choice earlier um, prior to actual college and does it all need to happen in a four-year setting or are there other ways and venues to reach our kids and equip them for success in life? Well, I think one of the problems that you run into is the fighting over, over the money because mm -hmm. the high schools <laughs> want those kids for as long as possible because they get so much per student and the junior colleges, community colleges want to make sure they get their share and so there's, there's so much institutional rivalry. How do you break down those institutional rivalries? How is the line <laughs> going to break down? The, well, this is where we really need civil discourse. Yes, it, yeah, is. Yeah. it is. And I mean, part of what, what the line is committed to is being student-centered as well. And what you just said, you're right. We, we fight over territory all the time instead of fighting over how we serve kids better. And it's high time in our conversation that we continue to push the envelope around how do we serve kids better, not who's getting a, a, this piece of that pie. Let's make the pie bigger. Let's make sure we expand through choice and other venues and opportunities and think outside the box, not just hold to our institutional um, comfort zone as adults, that, uh, that in the end, our kids suffer. So it, this is a time to push the envelope, ask the questions that get us outside the box. The line is definitely committed to doing that by bringing those voices um, uh, to bear and really asking tough questions, but also bringing solutions and highlighting where we're seeing success. In the same way that the line's committed to that in discourse, we across this country in education have to be committed to pushing the envelope, not drawing lines in the sand, but actually pushing together in a time where um, in our country um, we're often divided. So high expectations is something that we all as reformers want to uh, ensure that we always have for students, no matter who they are. Are you a little concerned that a career and technical path is going to be for those for whom lower expectations are held? And that'll just create a tracking system in our high schools? I am. I, I think that's why, if, I, if someone were to ask me, if you were to ask me right now, Hannah, why haven't we had this conversation sooner? We have gaps in our workforce. We have needs. We have students that aren't going to college. You know, what, what's the, um, why aren't we addressing this, this, uh, this uh, gap or challenge earlier? I think it's because we, don't, we haven't had good ideas on how to do that. It's time to bring our best ideas to the forefront and push on them. And anytime you do something new or innovate, it's going to be imperfect, but at the end of the day, we, we owe it to our students and, frankly, to the future of our country to be pushing on this, this idea of how do we break down some of these barriers and, and blur some of these lines and, and workforce and college and high school for the benefit of our students and, ultimately, for the benefit of our country. Well, this is a challenge for the line. Yes. Uh, and it's also a challenge for Education Next. So it we, is. We, we, face, we face that same challenge. So thank you very much for joining me today. I've been speaking with Hannah Skandera, the former 
State Superintendent of Schools for the State of New Mexico, and now Editor-in-Chief of The Line, an online magazine dedicated to civil discourse and K-12 education. Thank you, Hannah, for joining me on the Education Exchange. Thanks for having me, Paul. I am Paul Peterson. This is the Education Exchange. Please join me for a new Education Exchange podcast released on the Education Next website every Monday at noon Eastern time.